welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. Hello, everyone. Hope you had a great week. To start off, I want to let you all know that we are in the process of creating a way to make podcast transcripts available for purchase. I know I've been saying that for like a year, but concrete steps have been made, so hang tight. Also of note, the Ninth Circuit has denied rehearing in Bonk and slightly amended its decision in Guerriere v. Garland, a very complicated decision about expedited removal, jurisdiction, and the Supreme Court's Thoracicum decision, expertly discussed by Liz on episode 69 of the podcast. So check it out, again. Two cases this week, which can only mean one thing. Winter is coming. Starting off, we have a rule Nanthi v. Garland, published by the Fifth Circuit on November 8th, 2021. This case is about protection under the Convention Against Torture and credibility. Mr. Arul Nanthi is an ethnic Tamil from Sri Lanka. He entered the United States without authorization from the Mexico border in 2018. He was caught shortly thereafter, and he passed his credible fear interview, meaning that he got to apply for asylum before an immigration judge. But the IJ eventually denied relief and protection, making an adverse credibility finding. See, during the initial asylum interview, Mr. Olnanthi said that he feared return to Sri Lanka based on two encounters with the Criminal Investigation Department, or CID, of the Sri Lankan police, in January and May 2018, and that both interactions were because of his political opinion as a supporter of the Tamil National Alliance Party. But during his merits hearing in immigration court, apparently, quote, a central detail about the May 19th incident was different, end quote. Although Mr. Olnanthi had previously asserted in his credible fear interview that CID officers had spoken with his mother on that date, he stated in court that the officials visited his home and questioned him directly. Mr. Olnanthi submitted some documents to corroborate his claim regarding his run-ins with the CID, and he submitted lots of documents regarding general country conditions in Sri Lanka for Tamils. 
So again, the IG made an adverse credibility finding based on that omission and two other less stark discrepancies. The IJ denied cat protection for the same reason, and the BIA affirmed. Ms. Arul Nanthi petitioned for a view to the Fifth Circuit and filed an emergency stay of his removal, but the Fifth Circuit denied that emergency stay. And right now, as I speak, Ms. Arul Nanthi is in Sri Lanka after being removed there by DHS during the petition for review process. And that's a big problem, because in this decision... While the Fifth Circuit affirmed the BIA on the asylum and withholding of removal denial, it remanded for further consideration of Ms. Earl and Anthony's cat claim. Put another way, the Fifth Circuit believes that the IJ and the BIA erred, and that Mr. Earl Nanthi may have a claim that he will more likely than not be tortured in the country that he is currently in, because he has been deported to that country. And flipping that rationale on its head a bit, Oyle argued, a bit incredibly to me, that because DHS had already removed Mr. Alanathi pending his petition for review, the petition for review was moot, and the Fifth Circuit couldn't even review the petition anymore. The Fifth Circuit acknowledged that while there's an argument there, that would be a crazy rule. So it held that it still had jurisdiction to review the case, notwithstanding DHS's decision to remove Mr. Alanathi before it reviewed the case. Having found that it had jurisdiction, the Fifth Circuit affirmed the adverse credibility finding. In the Fifth, quote, an IJ may rely on any inconsistency or omission, so long as the totality of the circumstances establishes that an asylum applicant is not credible, end quote. And unfortunately for Mr. Errol Nanthi, that, quote, includes inconsistencies and omissions that arise when comparing an applicant's statements in a credible fear interview to his testimony at an immigration hearing, end quote. In this case, and even though it's not required by the law anymore following the Real ID Act, the three identified inconsistencies regarded, quote, three encounters to establish past persecution and torture, end quote, which, as so stated, actually do go to the heart of Mr. Alanathi's claims. Although credible fear interview summaries might not be the most reliable things and aren't, quote, verbatim transcripts, end quote, the Fifth Circuit was provided no reason to doubt the summary here. The Fifth Circuit held that the IJ did not impermissibly, quote, cherry-pick, end quote, the record, and that the adverse credibility finding tanked Mr. Alanathi's asylum and withholding of removal claims under the INA, including any pattern or practice claim because an adverse credibility finding undermines the applicant's subjective fear, which is quite the holding. But that is not the law for the cat. Here, the Fifth Circuit held that the IJ and the BIA erred by denying cat protection based completely on the adverse credibility finding. CAT requires the totality of evidence analysis, and in this case, quote, the BIA violated the CAT regulations by ignoring Mr. Alanathi's hundreds of pages of evidence about country conditions in Sri Lanka, end quote. The regulations require that all evidence be considered, and the CAT, quote, has no exception for cases of adverse credibility determinations, end quote. The Fifth Circuit therefore sent the case back because, and this is a great quote in all contexts, quote, we cannot affirm a decision that fails to address key evidence, end quote. Hopefully that means that DHS brings Mr. Alanathi back, too. That is our Alanathi v. Garland. That leads us to our final case this week, Lopez Vasquez v. Garland, published by the Ninth Circuit on November 12, 2021. After some Ninth Circuit non-citizen friendlies last week, this one is not. 
It's about reinstatement, and because there are only two cases this week, I reserve the right to go on a few tangents. Mr. Lopez is from Mexico, entered the United States unlawfully in 1992, and in 1995, pled guilty to possessing cocaine for personal use in Utah. He was ordered removed in immigration court and physically removed in 1998. He re-entered or tried to re-enter the U.S. without authorization from Mexico a few times thereafter, was convicted for illegal re-entry in federal court, and then removed again. But by 2001, he had re-entered for the last time, undetected. He has remained in the U.S. ever since with his U.S. citizen wife and U.S. citizen children. Then, in 2014, a Utah state court granted Mr. Lopez's motion to withdraw his guilty plea from all those years ago and vacate his criminal sentence based on ineffective assistance of counsel at the time of his conviction. If I'm a betting man, it's because counsel did not advise Mr. Lopez of the immigration consequences of his guilty plea in 1995. And just as an aside, that's a reason for vacating a conviction based on the federal and or state constitution, and therefore should be a valid vacation of conviction for immigration purposes, even under Attorney General Barr's matter of Thomas and Thompson. Get this. Mr. Lopez then, quote, pleaded guilty to possessing benzyl fentanyl in violation of Utah law. Because benzyl fentanyl is not listed in the CSA, possessing it is not a removable offense, end quote. Also, and as another aside, this Ninth Circuit panel is a fan of using pleaded rather than pled for the past tense of plea, which I just cannot get behind. And I want everyone to know that. With the conviction vacated, Mr. Lopez's U.S. citizen wife filed an I-130 petition for his benefit, and Mr. Lopez filed an application to adjust to lawful permanent resident status. Unsure how, though, because he appears to have entered unlawfully and does not appear to be 245i eligible, but let's table that one for another episode. Anyway, either at the I-130 interview or shortly thereafter, as occurred during the Trump years, ICE arrested and detained Mr. Lopez and then reinstated that 1996 removal order. Mr. Lopez sought to reopen his proceedings, but an immigration judge denied the motion, which the BIA affirmed, and it made its way up to the Tenth Circuit. Remember, Utah? And the Tenth Circuit dismissed that separate petition. During all of that, Mr. Lopez challenged ICE's reinstatement in the Ninth Circuit, presumably because that's where he now lived and where ICE arrested him and from where ICE sought his removal. Quote, He argues that the reinstatement order is invalid because the underlying order of removal on which it is based was invalidated when the Utah court vacated his conviction for cocaine possession. End quote. And I believe such arguments skip right past the BIA and go directly to the circuit. So here we are. Now, it's pretty easy for ICE to reinstate a final order of removal. ICE essentially just needs to prove that there is a final order and needs to prove the individual's identity. Then, assuming that the individual is found to lack a reasonable fear of persecution, that's generally the end of it. The person is physically removed following reinstatement. But in the Ninth Circuit, as in some other circuits, non-citizens can collaterally attack their final reinstated removal order if the petitioner shows that, quote, he has suffered a gross miscarriage of justice in the initial deportation proceeding, end quote. Ideally, a non-citizen or their attorneys could convince ICE of this, thereby leading them not to reinstate the final order and instead serve a notice to appear for immigration court proceedings. But if you can't, you're up to the circuit for the argument. Here, the panel held that a gross miscarriage of justice is a very high standard, and that Mr. Lopez did not meet it. 
Based largely on the 1976 decision Hernandez-Almanza v. INS, the court held that even though Mr. Lopez obtained his drug conviction due to ineffective assistance of counsel, his conviction was valid at the time he was removed, and that's about all the panel believes required. The court distinguished this case from the Ninth Circuit's 2019 and amended 2020 decision in Vega-Aguiano v. Barr, because in Vega, the conviction was, quote, expunged before the government executed the final order and returned him to Mexico, end quote. The timing of the expungement makes all the difference to the court. In Vega-Aguiano, the removal based on conviction was not legal at the time the removal happened, because there was no longer a conviction, making it a gross miscarriage of justice. Not so here. Put simply, quote, when a removal order is legally valid at the time of entry and execution, a petitioner cannot challenge a reinstatement of that order as a gross miscarriage of justice based on developments that call into question the original removal order, but which occurred after the petitioner was removed from this country, end quote. Also, as the Ninth Circuit points out, there can't really be a miscarriage of justice here because at the time of his removal in 1998, Mr. Lopez was removable for another reason, independent of the conviction. He was in the U.S. without authorization. Mr. Lopez, therefore, will be removed. Two more things before I let you go. In a footnote, the Ninth Circuit panel recognizes that under recent Ninth Circuit law, namely Vega-Aguiano. It appears that individuals like Mr. Lopez can challenge the reinstatement of a final order within 30 days of the reinstatement, even if the reinstatement occurs 25 years after the final order of removal occurred. So remember that. And so yes, this case really is all about Vega-Aguiano v. Barr, discussed on episode 31 of the podcast and favorable to non-citizens on this whole collateral attack issue following reinstatement. Reviewing my notes from the case, the key quotes seem to be, quote, collateral attack is largely reserved for cases in which the removal order could not have withstood judicial scrutiny under the law in effect at the time of either its issuance or its execution, end quote, an emphasis in the original. To me, the distinction that the court in Vega-Aguiano seemed to be trying to make was a broader, non-citizen-friendly one, expanding the realm where a collateral attack can be viable. And it does not extend that quote very far to argue that, where a constitutional violation occurred at the time of conviction, and then led to a removal order's issuance, the removal order should not have been able to withstand judicial scrutiny at the time, thereby meaning a gross miscarriage of justice occurs when the final order is reinstated later. But this panel did not so read Vega Aguiano. And as I so often say, I am not a judge. And that is Lopez Vasquez v. Garland. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. 
And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Immigration Review, and send us a tweet at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.